podcast number 259 entitled Revenge of the Creature. The reason for the title will become apparent soon, and we've just heard Gilbert O'Sullivan get down from 1973. I have such a poignant memory of Gilbert O'Sullivan because his song, which came out just a little bit later, called Alone Again, Naturally, which had very specific religious imagery in it. Um, was sort of the, the, the theme song of a woman that I knew in England um, in uh, the theological college there who was very much alone and she was uh, had someone who had completely lost hope of ever having a life's partner and uh, the song that she said spoke most to her and she just adored Gilbert O'Sullivan was the song Alone Again Naturally but a little bit before then O'Sullivan sang that very upbeat song Get Down and um the uh, 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 podcast takes its um, title from a line in a movie uh, from 1955, which is actually very good, entitled Revenge of the Creature. It's the second of the three universal Creature from the Black Lagoon movies. And in the particular section at the end, the um, heroine turns to the rather amatory and uh, a little bit verging on the Me Too kind of guy, the other research scientist who's constantly um, sort of uh, coming on to her. And uh, she's a scientist. And she puts him off very, very nicely. And he saves her life at the end. But... um, she, uh, they're on a little um, kind of veranda at a restaurant that used to be called the Crab Shack in Jacksonville, uh, in which one of the most celebrated and daffy, uh, surreal uh, scenes in Universal Horror Films occurs in which the creature comes out of the bay and walks into a sort of a dance situation at the Crab Shack and uh, kidnaps the girl because he really uh, has been following her. He's deeply um, attached to her. But just before the scene, uh, the young woman scientist and the, again, slightly yucky uh, older doctor 
are talking, and she says to him, she says, you know, um, when you tell me about love, I decided to look it up in Mr. Webster's dictionary, and I found the following. Love, says Mr. Webster, this is how she says, love, says Mr. Webster, is a feeling of strong personal attachment induced by sympathetic understanding. Now, he's kind of sort of flummoxed by this and says something ridiculous from Shakespeare, but um, I... IPZ uh, looked in my uh, ancient family Webster's, which is like 60 pounds on top of a bookshelf, and I wanted to verify whether that was in fact the um, the official uh, the definition of love. And it is. Love is a feeling of strong personal attachment induced by sympathetic understanding. Now, I want to uh, say I've underlined that. You've heard me underline that theme uh, frequently, but it's um, of, of tremendous importance, and I, I don't feel it. Uh, I, I often don't feel understood by Christian theology, uh, as it's been traditionally stated, although it's implicit in much of the, the Christian understanding of God, that the key aspiration of a human being is to have an emotional connection, uh, we might say, um, what Webster says, sympathetic understanding as um, given by another person. And when you feel that someone sympathetically understands you, you are almost invariably uh, uh, bound to love them in the sense of having a strong personal attachment to them. And I think uh, what we're being told in the movie is that the woman scientist has kind of has shown the creature a kind of sympathetic understanding. And it, that's true. And he responds with love, the creature. And um, I want to underline that as the key uh, sort of area where uh, spiritual healing and the healing of human lives, especially as we grow a little older and have more baggage, because the problem that Paula White, uh, perhaps a third of her tweets and a third of her messages, and I think a good preacher, is bound to underline is the power of the past to flummox, overwhelm, paralyze, vitiate, and otherwise detract from a healthy, hopeful, optimistic life. And uh, I've referred to it in my own life in countless ways. It's not just one thing or another. It's all sorts of things. And um, if the uh, Christian faith is not able to uh, get right in there, the inner man, the uh, what uh, you know, um, modern mystics call the true self, Merton, you know, uh, and people like that, or we might just say the soul. If if the Christian gospel cannot get into the soul, which is longing, absolutely longing, by definition, to receive sympathetic understanding from another, this cannot be abstract. It has to be personalized in a way. You you know, I used to preach the message that romantic love is an analogy of the divine love. Uh, in other words, when we talk about a love between a man and a woman in this sense of uh, emotional attachment, we are really um, kind of uh, using that as a, to help people understand from their natural experience what is the um, love of God for us by which we are sympathetically understood. And then we, of course, have a sympathetic uh, um, response of uh, trust and love and hope in his love. I now would put it without um, diminishing my own faith in Christ one iota, I would tend to say that rather than human love being an analogy for the divine love, it's almost as if the divine love is an analogy from the human love. Because you have heard me say, we have to do our theology from the ground up. We have to start where we are. Otherwise, it becomes kind of a, an abstraction or a, a series of religious assertions. And uh, if we do that and we are in touch with the power of our past experience to overwhelm our present uh, buoyancy, 
and vibrancy with feelings that range from shame to guilt to distrust to uh, deep repulsion to inordinate shadows on our uh, hopes, then um, we have to, in a sense, start with human love and work from there, um, realizing in the context of the Church of the Holy Sepulchre at Jerusalem and the remarkable um, ultimately eternal ministry of uh, Jesus of Nazareth that by the Holy Spirit becomes a ministry in the now. It's all tied together, but in a way, we would be better served to work from our own pain to God's response to it and see what how human pain is um, treated uh, successfully uh, rather than to jump too quickly. You might call it, again, theology uh, from the ground up. And that is really where I think we do the best theology. Now, I was um, I was struck by a quote in a book I've been reading of late that I found in Charlottesville at the Daedalus Bookstore. May it ever rain, uh, the Daedalus Bookstore. But it was a book entitled One Foot in Heaven. And this was a book that was written, I think, in the very early 40s um, by a man named Hartzell Spence, One Foot in Heaven, about his dad, who was a Methodist minister, the real McCoy. And uh, this a chronicle of, written by an older son who understands very sympathetically and yet somewhat objectively his father and his mother's ministry as small town um, uh, Methodist pastors in Iowa. This um, picture of uh, ministry is very powerful because the man is a real Christian, this Methodist. But he does say something at the end that in a way um, reveals a, a, uh, a kind of uh, understanding that is very easy to make that is false, which this podcast in a way wants to counter because it's very much alive today. As the father of Hartzell Spence is uh, near the, the end of his ministry and it's clear that he, he won't um, have many more years to go, he says to his son reflectively, he says, uh, we're talking about the new uh, emphasis on good works and earthing one's faith in uh, experience and reality. He actually does a 30-degree turn to, to, to something that's not helpful, where the old man, who's a hero, and the movie was made into a wonderful Academy Award-nominated movie called One Foot in Heaven with Martha Scott and Frederick March in like 1947, but... The old man says to his son, yes, Christianity has become something to live, not just something to believe in, the abstract. Well, that sounds good. It sounds good, but it's really not exactly right because Christianity, um, yes, it's of course it's outstanding when the Sermon on the Mount is lived with empathy and feeling and reality and uh, muscle by the Christian or the Christian community or the Christian parish. But uh, something has to happen deeper. The soul has to be touched. The inner, innerest person has to be reached by the gospel before he or she can even begin to live out. And so, when a lot of the churches now are so much talking about um, you know, action, action, Christian action, and uh, a lot of the progressives emphasize that. It's not that they're wrong, <clears throat> it's just that they um, are, are <clears throat> putting step two in front of step one, or maybe step three in front of step two, because the gospel has got to speak to the inner emotional life uh, at the most powerful healing, therapeutic, uh, um, uh, stitches-removing um, lysergic acid, that's not the word I mean, um, a helpful medicinal way, a therapeutic way in order for the actions to then follow. Actions always follow inward transformation. And so um, 
the gospel really needs to speak to uh, that which is deepest. And I see it myself, a feeling of strong personal attachment, that, uh, usually from the past, that's induced by sympathetic understanding. Let me give an example, one more example, and then I'll conclude. Um, I was uh, talking to a fellow the other day who I hadn't seen for many, many years. Matter of fact, I didn't really know him, but he, uh, he, <clears throat> he knew me. And it turned out he knew very, very, very close up about seven old, old friends of mine from uh, prep school. In other words, he, he went back with this group of people as far as I did, and yet I had not known him for one reason or another. And he suddenly he began to say, yes, he said, I was in the same class with people who – and then some girlfriends came up of, in those days. And he said, yes, uh, I knew very well so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so. He didn't say it in a bravado way. He was just recounting names that he thought I might remember. And he mentioned one name of a young woman at Wellesley College who had gone to school near me in uh, where I lived before that and a woman with whom to whom I was uh, exceedingly attached in myself or shall I say smitten for about six months in uh, my third year of college and he mentioned that name and I, I hadn't I haven't seen this particular person for 47 years this uh, wonderful wonderful Wellesley graduate a person of outstanding achievement and uh, a, a really a, a great person but I hadn't seen this person for 47 years and, and very rarely sort of think about her, but I was in fact at the time very caught up and uh, I, I sort of said, you, you knew that? You knew her? And he said, yes. And then he said a few other things. And uh, I was amazed that I went home. I told Mary all about it, but I went home and I suddenly found myself going back to what had happened 47 years ago. And um, I was talking to Mary and I said, you know, I, I, because our relationship ended so quickly, I never saw her after it. I mean, after we parted, a very uh, sort of... Um, Dramatically, you might say, but certainly it wasn't, it wasn't a happy thing for either of us, I hope, certainly for me. And I, uh, I said, you know, I never saw the girl, the woman, for 47 years. And I always had wanted to ask her, what went wrong? You know, have you ever, do you know what I'm talking about? Have you had a situation where you, you don't know, um, what was it? Did, did I say something? Did she find out something? Was it somebody else that said something? Um, did I do something? What was it that actually um, uh, changed it to the dark, c destroyed it? What, what was it? Something happened. And, you know, you never know what it was unless you ask. And most people never ask. We just carry this. And, I, and when the fellow mentioned this person's name and talked a little bit about her, I was just suddenly, boom, I was aware that there was an undigested piece of uh, a piece of nourishment from ancient times that had never been digested, like Scrooge, you know, and Marley, an undigested piece of gruel, but it was undigested. And it had great power. I hadn't thought about it for a very long time, but I was very surprised at the power that uh, there had been, in fact, at one time for a few years, months in college uh, uh, when I was in Boston and this person was uh, uh, in uh, Wellesley um, out there, a uh, feeling of strong personal attachment induced by sympathetic understanding. And all these memories came flooding back from those days. A very short period, really. But nevertheless, and then I said, I thought to myself of another thing. You know, here, he, I didn't vouchsafe the power that this uh, just offhand conversation would have. It just told me that there are things inside you that need attention. And then I uh, sort of associated my mind with a line. I hope I'm not giving you too much info, but this is my mind's thinking. Something that Rose Hobart says in the remarkable movie I think I've quoted on this podcast called Susan and God that was made in like 1942 or so. 
And without going into that, it's about a Long Island socialite played by Joan Crawford, who really is converted to Christianity in an evangelical way. And it's both a send-up and a very, very powerful uh, evocation of real religious faith versus uh, sort of uh, compartmentalized and rather phony religious faith. And um, at one point, a woman who's been lanced by the main, her, her own um, uh, marital situation, which is very far from what she wishes and anyone would wish it to be. She's sort of unmasked in a brief conversation with the uh, Joan Crawford character, and she's very upset. And she talks to the man to whom she's related romantically, and she is saying, you know, this. how did she, this phony, she zeroed right in on the biggest problem of my life. And then she pauses and she says, and it's in the play and in the movie, why is it that no one ever says what they're really thinking? No one ever says what they're really thinking. And I went to the Greenwich Library and got the play, actually, by uh, Susan Crothers. I think that's her name. Rachel Crothers, sorry. And I underlined that in a photograph I took of that page. I underlined it because uh, that line, no one ever says what they're really thinking. And what the play is saying is that each of these characters, who the phony Christian, who turns out ultimately to get real, uh, all the things that she's saying to them actually are being used by the Holy Spirit to nail their greatest innermost conflicts. And, and, uh, I thought to myself, you know, I, I never have talked about that thing, uh, that relationship out in, uh, you know, out in uh, the Boston suburbs, uh, which is very innocent. But for me, it meant a lot. It was very innocent by modern standards, but it certainly felt like it was important. Um, I've never talked about that with almost anybody because we never did. No one ever says what they're really thinking. Now, this is my point, that Christianity, unlike what Hartzell Spence's father says in One Foot in Heaven, uh, it has to become something that touches you in the place that you're never saying what you're really thinking, to quote Rose Hobart, the actress in the movie Susan and God. Uh, not just something to believe in the abstract. And that's why uh, when I saw the little line, love is a feeling of strong personal attachment induced by sympathetic understanding, recited by the actress Laurie Nelson in 1955's Revenge of the Creature, I said to myself, and Mary and I immediately picked it up, you know, that's important. That's really important. And uh, so um, I guess I want to conclude the cast by just uh, inviting you to um, consider the um, sort of uh, mental health element of the gospel, which is inevitably a cure of uh, inner um, uh, wounds, uh, inner uh, obsessions, uh, inner paralyses, inner um, thought patterns, in, inner habits, inner um, foci, foci, uh, inner um, uh, uh, repeating uh, uh, strongly felt emotional states that, because it's not rational, we're talking about the irrational part of an emotional state that overwhelms the soul and what Paula White would call a soul tie, although I did not have really a soul tie with the person I'm talking about. I, I was struck by how much more there was than I had realized. Well, that's where uh, the message of the love of Christ for all and especially for sinners and for people who are still hung up, that is where we are uh, needing the word where we are hung up. And uh, I having experienced it, and I laying before the Lord even this uh, long, long 47 years old brief relationship up in New England, um, it, uh, it revealed to me once again that it is not really about action and doing. That is a fruit of the inner transformation of healing. And that is really the emphasis of the podcast, and I hope the emphasis of the gospel in your life. Thanks so very, very much for listening. Bye.
Zeigefied. Ja, Zeigefied.